Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. I am joined by Doug Battle. As always, we are brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Uh, so good morning, uh, Happy uh, October 12th to you, Doug. Um, yes. A lot of going on in the world of sports. I'll let you choose where we start. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the world of sports. I, I mean, I feel like we got to start with the NBA Finals. Uh, usually usually when the NBA Finals is coming to a conclusion, it is the talk of the sports world. Uh, right now, it seems like an afterthought. I know people that don't even know that it happened. The NBA Finals did happen. The Lakers won the series 4-2, so they won in six against the Heat, which is honestly more than I thought the Heat would push it to. It kind of kind of anticlimactic in the fact uh, that, I mean, Lakers, Heat, was, everyone knew what was going to happen. LeBron won MVP, although I will say I picked AD to win MVP, so not everyone knew that was going to happen, but... I don't know, a little anticlimactic. LeBron's got four rings now, so the GOAT debate is back. Uh, LeBron, Michael Jordan, you know, that's all anyone will talk about when it comes to the NBA. It will never, it will never leave us. Um, You know, I I looked at that too, and, you know, fact check me here. Um, So this was LeBron's 10th visit to the finals? Uh, that, that sounds right. Um, so he's won. So four, I think Jordan has uh, the greater number of MVPs. The, the LeBron case is he's won with three different teams. He has been to the finals more times. Jordan has only been to the finals six times, but won each and every one of them. You know, it's the debate of the GOAT is great. I mean, it's, it's why, why we love sports. You can approach it from the, the qualitative of taking three different teams there versus, uh, you know, look at statistics. It's, uh, it's, it's a great debate because it's an, endlessly, it's an endless debate that has no actual resolution. I'll say this, and, you know, let me know what you think. Um, I, I know I'm coming at this with a little bit of bias Somehow, I think the fact that Jordan did it in one city is actually a positive for yeah. Jordan's ability to build a legend, right? Where it was, he was, you know, whether or not he was truly committed to it, it felt like he was committed to Chicago. I mean, he, of course, he did leave later on, but he took that team for, you know, over and over again. We don't have that feel of him jumping to different and perhaps better situations for himself. Yeah, they're they're talking about LeBron being the first player to win with three different teams, um, as if that is something that no one's been able to do. Uh, but I think, in my opinion, he feels more like a mercenary in that sense. Whereas like Jordan built an image within a city, and he was the face of the franchise. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think LeBron jumping around, I think right now might not feel like a big deal, but I think looking back on it, it'll be easy to say, well, yeah, LeBron had four, Jordan had six, but LeBron's four, I mean, three of those were him, or really, I mean, all four of them it were him jumping to a better situation than the one he was currently in to improve his odds, whereas that's not really something, even when Jordan went to... You know, Washington, that really wasn't the case. 
Well, so let me ask you this: If you're LeBron, what jersey do you um, what jersey do you choose for the Hall of Fame induction? It's tough. It's tough, and that's what I guess from like a marketing standpoint, the whole LeBron image. I mean, right now it's the Lakers, right? But it's still to a lot of people, it still doesn't really feel like LeBron's a Laker, and he just won Finals MVP for the Lakers. Well, so let me, you know, thought experiment. Like, close your eyes and envision and envision LeBron James. What jersey is he wearing? I mean, <laughs> see, he, it's a good question, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I kind of come back to Cleveland, though. I, I don't know exactly why that is. Maybe it's just because where he started. He had I that nice hometown oh, <laughs> kid story. One thing about Cleveland uh, that's interesting to me is that they actually rebranded between him leaving and coming back. And so even Cleveland, he spent a lot of years there between two stints. Uh, but they were wearing different uniforms, different logos, <laughs> you know, between those two stints. So even that, it's like there wasn't a lot of consistency. With Jordan, there's just that red and black and white Bulls classic look that was rocked. And you know I'm a big uniform guy, but I do think with LeBron, that's something uh, with Cleveland where it's like it's like it's hard to even remember what the old Cleveland uniforms looked like when, in, you know, in his first stint there. But they actually, I think they're better looking than the new ones are. True. I'd, I'd have a better chance envisioning, you know, Craig Elo or Mark Price wearing a Cleveland Cavalier uniform from, you know, 1988, 1989. Yeah. But like you, like with Kobe Bryant, we don't have to have this conversation. Uh, Lakers. And I think, I mean, this podcast is fandom analytics. And I think, I guess what we're getting at is LeBron's such a complicated case because he's jumped around, he's won some rings, but he's had quite the supporting cast each time. He's had two of those rings, one of them this year's in a, you know, what people have been calling an asterisk season because of coronavirus and the NBA bubble uh, where they ended up playing like a 5 seed in the final in the finals. Uh, another one was in a shortened season and, and some people felt like maybe that was an asterisk season as well. So he's he's such a complicated case and it's what makes the whole GOAT debate never ending because there, I mean, intrinsically there's no conclusive evidence that one player is the GOAT, but especially when you've got a player with such a complex situation like LeBron James. Well, it's a good way to put it. Um, and, and I think you're on, you're on point that, that part of this story, look, the, the idea of being the GOAT is essentially having the biggest legend, right? The yeah, and so where does that legend come from? That legend comes from everything you do, and it everything you do encompasses decisions on where to play, right? You know, you you have a TV show called The Decision to announce leaving your hometown. There's pluses and minuses with that, and and so it's a it's a complicated it's a complicated process. I, I think LeBron is interesting. And we'll look at back at LeBron in the history of sports as being one of the first players, and and he had this ability because his you know his look his physical capabilities are will always be off the charts in terms of him truly being an anomaly, especially now at age thirty five or thirty six. But I think he really approached his career from this brand building perspective. I think even early on there was talk of some of his people talking about that they wanted to be a billion dollar brand. Mm -hmm. And and so the, 
it is very much his his legend is going to be a product of his performance on the court and the decisions in the decisions he made. I think you know every bit as much as Michael Jordan being part of sports lore because or sports business lore because he so readily adapted to being the spokesman for Gatorade, Ballpark Franks, Hanes underwear, Nike, et cetera, et cetera. LeBron will be viewed as a very as maybe the athlete that created the modern sports yep. individual level brand. Um, everything yeah. from the decision to go down to Miami to moving out to LA to perhaps pursue more of a movie career. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and we'll see <laughs> some of that movie career here <laughs> somewhat shortly with the, uh, the Space Jam revamp with LeBron, but. Yeah. Well, what I'm, was the what was the one that he was in with um, <laughs> with uh, Amy Schumer? There was I know. some comedy a few I'm, years yeah, back. Yeah, I'm, I'm blanking on that too. <laughs> okay. It was yeah. Doesn't doesn't matter at all. Forget. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, at the end of the day, I think Jordan clearly changed athlete branding and, and the sport of basketball as well. I think Kobe did the same thing to a degree, and I think LeBron's probably done it to the same extent as Jordan. I think he's the most powerful player in NBA history and, and maybe in sports history. And what I mean by that is who has had more coaches fired, more super teams <laughs> formed, more off. I mean, the whole league for multiple off seasons would base their, you know, teams like the Brooklyn Nets uh, would, would make trades and all this stuff just to have a chance at signing LeBron. And, and they would, for years, strategized their roster around potentially signing LeBron in the offseason. Uh, it wasn't just the team he ended up on that did that. And so he really shaped the league uh, in, in recent years. It's at a point where he's always going to have people that hate on him uh, for his behavior or for his you know social stances. Uh, at the end of the day, I think looking back on things, he's going to be looked back as like, man, I wish we still had that guy in the league. He was phenomenal. Like <laughs> we took him for granted. So, I mean, I think there comes a point where it'll change just like it did with Kobe. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll, I'll throw in one point of that, right? The, you know, the, the post-game press conference where he ended his uh, statement by saying he deserved respect. So yeah. sometimes I think he doesn't do himself a lot of favors. <laughs> Um, I saw that. So looking looking forward, Doug, you're a big NBA guy. Um, yeah. Where do you see the league next year? I've got the God. I've got the betting odds going into next season for the for the 2021 NBA championship. What what are your picks? Yeah, I think the big storyline is going to be the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the Durant versus LeBron rivalry has always been somewhat prominent uh, with Durant. Well, 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 let me throw the let me throw the uh, betting odds at, at you just to sort okay. of frame this. So yeah. number one uh, favorite to repeat is the L.A. Lakers. Yeah. Uh, number two, the L.A. Clippers. Number three, the Milwaukee Bucks. Number four, the Golden State Warriors. Mm -hmm. And number five, the Nets, followed by the Celtics and the Heat. Yeah. Um, so I mean, in the East, you got the Bucks. Bucks, Nets, Celtics, Heat. I feel like with Kyrie versus LeBron, that storyline, Durant always having a rivalry, trying to kind of overthrow his big brother in a way with LeBron. Um, I just, I can definitely see that being, you know, this year it felt like they were pushing for Giannis versus LeBron all season long. I feel like it's going to be Brooklyn next year. It's a big market. 
um, that that hasn't had this caliber of talent ever, and all of a sudden they do. And, and watching the Nets this year, they were competitive without Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant. So I think they've got a lot of nice pieces. I think the interesting uh, out west, yes, Lakers, Clippers, Clippers are making a change at head coach. I don't, I don't know how much of a difference that'll make. We'll see. Uh, my concern with them is always injuries, but Golden State Warriors, who I guess injury is also a concern. It's like they they could their dynasty, depending on what they do uh, in the draft and and with trades or whatnot, their dynasty could be back up and running as of this year. Uh, and there's certainly a forgotten powerhouse in the NBA. Some good storylines. Let me yeah. um, let me throw one at you. Uh, one team that is not listed in the top seven betting odds um, is the Philadelphia 76ers. So is it time to restart the process? You know, early during the postseason, I was thinking they're going to do it. They're going to they're going to build around either Embiid or Simmons and go from there. Now I'm thinking they give it another shot. I think bringing in Doc Rivers as head coach and some of his comments about the talent that, that Philadelphia has. People forget Philadelphia last year, they lose on a game seven buzzer beater to the Raptors, and then the Raptors win the finals. I mean, the, they were right there. They were very close. And and I think they feel that and they know that. And they know that their core and the assets they've had over the years has, has provided an opportunity. And I don't think they're going to go back into rebuild mode, um, especially bringing in a veteran head coach like Doc Rivers, who's who's leaving a team like the Los Angeles Clippers. Obviously, they're probably because of the Clippers, but Doc's always coached teams that are wanting to compete for championships. The Celtics uh, with that kind of aging core, and then the Clippers with Griffin and Chris Paul, and now recently with Kawhi and Paul George. And so him going to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons makes me think Philadelphia wants to make one last run. They want a veteran head coach who's been to the finals, and they're gonna they're gonna give it everything they got with what they have. So we'll see what happens. I personally, I'm not sold on the Ben Simmons Joel Embiid dynamic. I'd probably try to build around Embiid with um, a different kind of point guard. But that's I think they're they're invested. Okay, before we move on to the NFL, you got any last thoughts on the NBA season the day after the finals? Um, it'll be like. Just looking ahead to next year, what are they going to do to make it feel more like a real season um, and a real postseason and all the rest? This year's been so crazy, and it was so great having basketball back. Kind of as the first sport back, first professional sport. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a good question. I mean, when's the NBA? What's uh, the next season scheduled? Uh, is it um, December at this point? Yeah, I think it's December. So they're going to start late. I mean, normally they're. Normally they start late October, so we're like weeks away from the beginning of the season typically, um, and so they're they're going to start late. You know, it's going to be a different schedule. It looks like it's still going to be no fans for for a while. They might be back non bubble. I don't know, um, but I mean, it's got to be tough for tough for the league. It's got to. I mean, it's a challenge. I think Adam Silver's done a tremendous job with what he's had in this pandemic, and I'm just curious to see what creative measures they take to continue improving moving into next season, given that there's likely to be some of the same limitations. Absolutely. This is going to just, you know, it it was a dramatic 
suspension of all sports and it's a very prolonged piece by piece rebuilding of sports entertainment so speaking of well leagues that may have different schedules the nfl has been hit by some COVID issues and i've heard you know they it sounds like they've been smart but it's kind of interesting that they've built in some slack and have some contingency plans where potentially they could even play the the super bowl going into going into march i i think is my understanding um if there is one theme that's emerging from our discussion today, though, it, the the word that's popping into my head is dynamics and mm-hmm. sort of the dynamic. You know, we, when sports analytics are done, they're almost always done on sort of a snapshot basis of who's the best player right now or what what individual should a team sign. Um, you know, when we're talking about LeBron and we're talking about building his when we're talking about building his brand over the course of more than a decade. It's it's a series of decisions that leads to some outcome. And so I think the big NFL story from this weekend is the injury to Dak Prescott. Yeah. I mean, the, the NFL has been decimated by injuries this entire season. I know because just about my entire – my first four draft picks in fantasy football all have been out for the majority of the season thus far. And my starting quarterback, Cam Newton, with well, COVID. Well, why don't you tell those folks who you drafted so they can get a sense of your football acumen? <laughs> All right, let me – I'm pulling up my team right here just to – Well, as you pull it up, f- let me add to it. So, you know, the, the Dak Prescott situation is, is interesting. And, and the reason why it makes me think about analytics and sort of more dynamically oriented analytics is one area where, where I think we're – there's a lot of opportunity, though there are some real challenges, is the analytics related to injuries. Now, I say there's some real challenges there because health information is you know, essentially private. What's available publicly may be of questionable value. But I don't think anyone can look, anyone that's really an NFL fan can look at the Dak Prescott situation and not say, you know, not have the heart go out to him, not, in, not only for the injury, but just for the fact that, you know, if he had been able to do the deal with the Cowboys and get paid prior to, you know, because these guys are, are taking on tremendous risk every time they step onto the field. And so the, your decision-making as a player really has to include the likelihood of injury in, in addition to, you know, whatever other kind of future bargaining positions and the, the, the offers on the table. Yeah, so going back to my my team, uh, Nick Chubb, first round, or was he first? No, he was second round. First round was Michael Thomas, and he, <laughs> Michael Thomas has been out with injury. He played like part of the first game. He's been out since then, so he's my first round pick. Like I'm, he's my biggest asset. He's been out, and then he's finally supposed to be back this week, and then I find out yesterday that he's ruled out for Monday's game due to a non-injury related reason. He got suspended because he got in a fight in practice. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This guy <laughs> is killing me. Uh, so Michael Thomas, like, come on, man. <laughs> um, and then my second round was Nick Chubb, who is now on the IR. Uh, third and fourth round were wide receivers. So Chris Godwin for Tampa Bay and Kenny Galladay for Detroit. Kenny's just now getting back. Chris, I recently traded 
because I'm in a like I gotta win games at some point, and so I'm giving up better assets for the future for guys that can play now and, wow. and give me a chance at winning. And then AJ Brown's another one and Cam Newton's been out as well. So that's just about my whole team. Why don't you suggest that, you know, you, you adopt the standard NFL drafting rules and the team that finishes last gets to draft Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. That's what I keep telling people <laughs> I'm tanking for Trevor. And I'm like, that's how this works, right? That's how this, you know, it doesn't work like this in fantasy football. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely in that point where if I were a real NFL team, I'd be tanking. Um, I've had to just put together a makeshift roster of guys that are healthy. But looking across the league, I mean, you got Christian McCaffrey on one team and and Dak Prescott on another, and it feels like everybody in our league has their best player out with injury. And the theme for the NFL to me is like, there's something going on, like whether it's the lack of practice. I don't understand the medicine of, you know, the medicine side of things, but there's certainly been more significant injuries this season to to star players than there has been in recent memory. Um, and it makes you wonder if if something with the, uh, you know, something in the protocol or in their workouts or whatever it is that, that has been limited has led to this. Definitely a possibility. Um, so the other, more, almost more of a local story, but always a national story, when the first head coach is fired. And so the Falcons let go of Dan Quinn, and they also let go of the general manager. So yeah. a clear, a clean reset down in Atlanta in week five. Yeah, the Falcons fans, many of whom I know, have been fed up with with what they've got and they're it's like they won the super bowl they're so thrilled that like they think now that we fired our coach and our general manager now we're gonna go all the way um or in reality it's like it probably will take a while to kind of build back and and make up for a couple bad drafts and and years of subpar coaching and so um it is funny to me how I guess for fans, their perception is always that it, there can be problems across the board with the team, but there's this feeling that if we change the head coach, then things will be better all of a sudden, be yeah. night and day. Yeah, that's that's good it, because I think that kind of encapsulates it, right? The um, from an academic or theoretical perspective, you you have to ask the question, right? So you fire a coach, you're you're in for some disruption to the organization, right? The, these teams are largely built to support the playing style of the coach. Now yeah. you're going to go out there and hire another coach, and you know you, you're going to have this period of transition of getting the right talent for how the the new individual wants to play. So it's it's really kind of a almost always a there's going to be a half step back. And so then the question becomes, is it worth it? Now, down in Atlanta, you know, one of the things that analytics has a tough time dealing with is the, you know, sort of what's between the ears, the mental side of it. Yeah. I, I think the general consensus down here is that Atlanta never recovered from losing that lead, that lead to the Patriots. Yeah, they they certainly didn't. If if you've looked at their performances in recent years, and uh, I'll say this, it's not just coaching; it's general manager as well. And this is kind of a rare instance where they both get fired at once. I think typically the head coach is the fall guy, 
And then even when the real problem is the general manager and the players he's putting out there. Um, so if I were a Falcons fan, I would be kind of pleased with, with the acknowledgement of the issue being more than one individual. Um, yeah, having but having them both go down seems like someone's mad over there in Flower yeah. Land. Fal- I, actually, I don't know. Someone's mad at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. There you go. Uh, Falcons fans feel cursed, though. Since that Super Bowl, they feel like their team is cursed. I was talking to some the other day, and we were talking about what's going to happen now, and, and they're saying, oh, we're, we'll watch us pass up Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and take <laughs> this other guy. Watch us do this. Watch us, you know, worst-case scenario always. My... Uh, my proposal for the Falcons was to draft Jamie Newman because Falcons fans are often Georgia fans and Georgia fans get frustrated that they never draft Georgia players and it would just be so Falcons for them to go finally draft a former Georgia player and then be the guy that left two weeks before the season and after a lot of hype and probably kept Georgia from making college football playoff although we'll see I hope I hope I'm wrong about that but I think him leaving was such a dagger, and Georgia fans can't stand that kid. And it's like the Falcons would go draft him, and he'd be the one Georgia player they finally get. <laughs> well, I like it. How about how about they if they do have the top pick, they bypass Trevor Lawrence to pick Fields. Justin Fields, also a that. former Georgia player. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see Fields in Atlanta, and it would be interesting because the fans that have turned on him would all of a sudden either they would probably be just mad, but. You know, it's like it's like in the NBA when I know a Lakers. I have a good friend that's a Lakers fan, and he used to hate LeBron James. He hated LeBron. He pulled against LeBron. The Lakers weren't in the playoffs. He would pull for whatever team was playing LeBron. And then that off season, he kind of started getting a little excited that that the Lakers might get LeBron. Um, and now they have him, and he's like a total LeBron stand. So it is funny how fans can change their tone on players like that. And I would certainly expect that with Justin Fields if he were to go to the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, so we've uh, inadvertently transitioned to a little bit of discussion about college football. Yeah. The season is starting to, (laughs) and it's a funny thing to say, I think the things are starting to shake out in terms of who the elite teams are. Um, It's an interesting statement to make before the Big Ten and the Pac-10 start playing. Yeah. But... I, I don't know. There, there's almost a feel out there that of who's going to end up in the college football playoffs. Um, and what are we, week three, week four? Yeah, we are uh, four weeks in. Four weeks in? Well, it, dep- um, it, depends on the co- it depends on the conference. depends on the conference. Yeah. <laughs> or, <laughs> it's or, different or three for weeks ACC, out, right? ACC. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so... Uh, you know the big surprise as far as college football playoff picture is well. Well, let me let oh. me say it. So it's the same as every other year, but Georgia replaces Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma and and t- Texas were the two that everyone had pegged in that conference, and and they both have two losses four weeks into the season, so they're out. I mean, there's no way. Um, Georgia, you know, talk talk about Georgia. You look at it and think, yeah, so they're that fourth team now. Well, they got to go play Bama. And if you look at the top 10 right now, you can kind of see it start to take shape because Clemson, Notre Dame, North Carolina, of those three, North Carolina and Notre Dame are going to play each other. And then the winner of that's going to play Clemson. And so all those teams except Clemson probably will have one loss. Um, so they kind of take each other out. Georgia's got to play Alabama, so that's two and three. They got to play each other, 
and then they're in different divisions of the same conference. So they will likely, if they continue to win games, they will likely play each other in the SEC championship. So you're looking at, you know, say Georgia beats Alabama twice, Alabama beats Georgia twice, or they split the series and go one and one. Um, I think splitting the series, both teams get in. Uh, any other outcome, you know, somebody's yeah. eliminated there because you got Ohio State. If you if you look at their schedule, it's just it's hard to imagine them not going undefeated. Um, and then I think a team like Oregon with no non-conference games has a shot <laughs> at going undefeated. The the I mean, Pac-12 yeah. is I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what is the. I mean, I, I don't even. Do you know though? It's what's the Pac-12s. Pack fourteen or Pack ten? What's their, what's their, um, what's their schedule looking like? How many games are they going to play? Uh, I think they're playing like eight, and that's eight? like including, that's like including, uh, a championship game. I could be wrong on that, but I believe that's what I heard. It's it's confusing this year. There's so much, um, or even a team like USC. I don't know. It's like yeah, if some team just gets hot, wins eight games. <laughs> They could find themselves in the playoff as well, so it's. I think it'll become less clear once those last two conferences start off. Because right now it's like, okay, you got Clemson, Oklahoma, and Texas are out. Georgia and Alabama, at least one of those two will be in. Maybe Florida, um, even though they lost this week, and because if Florida were to go beat Georgia and then beat Alabama in the SEC championship, they would still be in. Look, a hundred percent. It'll get less clear. I mean, I will have to start listening to sports talk radio again because there, um, there's nothing better than debates about the college football playoffs when you live <laughs> yeah. in SEC country and the, the scenarios in terms of, well, if we beat them and, and then we lose that, then the SEC should – I mean, it's always funny, right? Then the SEC should have at least three teams in the college playoff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it, to SEC fans, unless your team – nobody – if you're the one seed – like the year Georgia won the SEC championship, we did not – won Alabama in the playoff. That was the one oh, year. When okay, folks, only... notice notice the we, please. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm biased because yeah. I went to school there. I mean, what do you – I'm not going to just pretend. I don't know. I feel like in in this kind of thing, they they want you to say, like, that team, that Georgia team, they're <laughs> fan base. But, like, let's be real. I was painted up for the games. So they did not want Alabama in the playoff that year. Even though they were clearly a top-four team, it felt like everyone was trying to justify any oh, other yeah. team getting in but Alabama because they didn't deserve it. They didn't make it out the SEC like we did. But then the next year, you know, we're runners up in the SEC championship and everyone's making the argument for there should be two SEC teams <laughs> we had. And so unfortunately it didn't work out in our favor. Um, but at well, the same time, it's just an interesting case on fandom. And I'll, and I'll say this folks, you know, if you don't live in the SEC in SEC country, you don't quite, you can't quite grasp the level of intensity down here. I mean, I, I went to school in Big Ten country, and it's it's just different. I mean, the SEC, and look, it's always going to be one of the challenges for Southern sports. The SEC is, it's where so much of the passion, you know, lies. It's, it's really, um, it, it's a remarkable thing to see. And it's almost like as a culture, an observer of culture, it's it's a lot of fun, but it's very uh, it's definitely different. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, one one thing that's interesting to me, I went to 
to a game this weekend and uh, kept up with all college football on Saturday. And where'd you go? The to uh, to Athens, Georgia. Okay, stadium, <laughs> Georgia, Georgia, Tennessee. Um, my, my friend Wes hooked me up, so that was a a pleasant. I don't know. I didn't expect uh, to go to a game this year. Uh, okay, this is a little bit of a, an aside. Um, and I don't know how much you see this, especially with the reduced attendance. There was a picture floating around on social media of a couple of Tennessee fans wearing checkerboard orange and white overalls. Do oh, you actually them. see that in the games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw, I saw that. I mean, that was two guys. That picture that's going around. There was another. There's a couple like pairs, which it's weird that it's pairs of guys, but there were a couple pairs of guys <laughs> in uh, checkerboard overalls. So I did see that. That's just the Tennessee. I see it at every Georgia Tennessee game. It's not. It's one of those things. I guess if you're outside of the culture, you're like, oh my gosh, that's bizarre. And when you're there, you're just so used to it. You know, <laughs> you see the Georgia guys with the paint and the spiked shoulder pads. You see the Tennessee guys with the checkerboard overalls and no shirt on, and you're just like. Uh, Look, yeah, this is normal. Look, I'll give you the spikes. You know, that that's part of football. Those Tennessee uh, checkered overalls is, uh, that's 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 beyond the pale. That's something that's so <laughs> far out there that, you know, if, you, if you're not from SEC country, you know, do a Google search. Check, just check out what the look that those guys are rocking. Yeah. Yeah, but I say all that to say, um, going to that game and seeing everything is the – climate right now in the in the south is very with the election coming up and the polls how they are and and all the rest uh it's very tense it's very tense it's hard to have a conversation about anything uh without politics coming into it and all of a sudden on saturday it doesn't matter it doesn't it isn't spoken of anything could happen on saturday and no one would even know because we're all watching football and I remember at the end of the day Saturday and just thinking to myself, like, are they still doing the election? Is that still a thing? Because I kind of forgot about it for a day. Um, and, and so certainly in the southeast, we have our, our priorities and, and football tends to uh, take precedence in the fall. Well, that's a pretty hopeful sign, for, at least, for, you know, maybe for the entire country, but at least for sports. Um, so our final... Uh, major league that's still going on at this point is major league baseball and right now we've got tampa bay versus houston in the american league and we've got the los angeles dodgers playing the atlanta braves in the i was about to say the eastern conference but in the national league yeah so we all know what mike wants to have happen here and that is okay. For- well, let, let let me articulate that. <laughs> I think the best thing for this is not what I want to have happen, but I think the best thing for baseball would be for a. And look, I, I can even sort of justify this in a way. Um, Tampa Bay is a, a fine organization. You know, they're one of the leaders in analytics. Uh, Florida professional sports is always a rough situation in terms of generating fan bases and national interest. Uh, love the Braves. Um, but all that being said, the most high impact, most controversial, uh, the World Series pairing that would generate the most interest would be a rematch of the Astros and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah. And (laughs) everyone that's not an Astros fan will be pulling for the Dodgers in that one. If, if it happens, which can definitely see that coming. Clayton Kershaw, redemption story. Feels like he got robbed of a World Series and, and 
embarrassed uh, if you if you look at the performances that happened because of some of the cheating that was going on. And so certainly an interesting storyline. I know around here the Atlanta Braves fans are pretty much fantasizing about ways their season could end and poorly. Uh, that's just what Atlanta sports fans do until something good happens. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if the Braves can – sneak their way in there. Uh, but I'm with you. I think f- for the sport of baseball, the most easily, I mean, easily the most intriguing storyline in a way that MLB could actually benefit from a scandal is if the Astros, <laughs> the, the new villain of the MLB, make the uh, World Series and take on the team that they took advantage of, and that is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Awesome. Uh, we are in full agreement on that one. Okay, so let's wrap this one up. So any other thoughts going into the next week, Doug? Uh, well, we got Georgia-Alabama this week, two versus three in Tuscaloosa. Uh, kind of a lot on the line, kind of not, but you know how I like to wrap things up, and that's with go dogs. You know what? I'll, I'll second that. Um, you know, Never had any real affiliation with uh, the University of Georgia before I, I still don't have an actual affiliation, but coming down to Atlanta, I will say this. I I think the Bulldog Nation is one of the more interesting fan bases in all of sports. It's, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, Atlanta feels like a college sports town more than a pro sports town. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's a fan base that's very kind of deserving of you know, getting to that next level. So I'll echo that with a go dogs.